I'd invite you to pray with me. Gracious and holy God, as we gather together at the tomb this day, God, we come hungry. Hungry for your good news. Just like those women came hungry in the midst of their grief and their sorrow and their fear on that first resurrection day, God, you know. You know the state of our hearts. You know the state of our lives. Lord, you know the state of our world as we gather together on this resurrection day. And Lord, we are hungry for your good news. So speak to us. Speak to us your word of life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The scripture I'll be reading is from Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' dead body. Very early, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb. They were saying to each other, Who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and it was a very large stone. Going into the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated on the right side, and they were startled. But he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He isn't here. Look, here's the place where they laid him. Go, tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he is going ahead of you in Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. Overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Who will roll the stone away? Who will roll the stone away? It was almost five years ago now. When our family was in the middle of building our house out on 10 acres of raw land we had bought down in Spring Hill, we were nearing the end of the build that we had overseen ourselves and done quite a bit of the actual work on as well. It was, you know, a slightly stressful time. And both my husband, George, and I had pretty much almost hit the limit of what we could handle. We were getting close less than a month away from the finish line. When my husband asked me to dig drainage trenches across what would become our driveway before the concrete went in. When he first asked it, I laughed, thinking he was actually joking. I was the tile and shiplap girl, 
the manage the books and make sure the contractors get paid girl, the hunt online for good deals and order the supplies girl. Trench digger seemed a little outside my particular and identified skill set. I laughed and said something to the tune of, yeah, okay, I'll get right on that. <laughs> my husband's response was a little less jovial. Y'all, he actually wanted me to dig a trench. <laughs> Which is how on one Saturday morning, while he went off to spend the morning hunting out and purchasing supplies he would need for another project of, on the house, I drove to the property and got ready to dig. We later learned that our property used to be an old rock quarry. So on most of our land, once you start digging, it doesn't take long at all before you hit rock. The patch where our driveway now sits was no different. As I worked that morning, the digging, once you got an inch or two down, really was simply excavation work, making a pathway by removing one stone at a time. Most of the rocks I encountered were handled easily enough with a bit of energy and my shovel. Until as I neared the end of the final stretch of trench, I came upon a stone whose edges I could not find. An obstacle so big, it seemed no match for me and my shovel. We've been on a journey of stones throughout this lit and holy week, naming over these past weeks the stones of our sin and brokenness that paved Jesus' path to the cross. Those things within us and around us that are a burden, an obstacle to the love and grace Christ offers and the life that grows out of those good gifts. Yet it is today that we come to the ultimate stone, the one that lay at the entrance to the tomb, the one that left the women on that first Easter morning. And my gut says, if we are honest, us too, the one that leaves us asking, who will roll the stone away? It's not just my trench digging resume that gives me experience with what appear to be unmovable stones. To be human means that at points along the journey, we will find ourselves before rocks, those obstacles to the love and grace and life God intends for us that are no match for us and the tools that we bear. When I tried to unearth that stone in that trench, just me and my shovel, it did not move. My shovel simply bent. I don't know if it is just me, but as of late, it feels as if our lives and our world are littered with stones like these. It feels as if I find myself asking all too often, who will roll the stone away? One of the places I turn to as of late with my questioning, my wondering heart, is a podcast put out by Mockingbird Ministries called The Mockingcast. The core purpose of Mockingbird is to take seriously the reality of our human sin and brokenness 
for they recognize that it is there that the presence and power of grace is most evident. In every episode of their podcast, their three contributors, dear friends who are all engaged in ministry in the Episcopal Church, read articles reflecting on the events of our times and look for the grace of God active and alive in the world. A few episodes back, they spent time reflecting on a personal essay Mockingbird had published on their website, written by Cole Huffman. Cole writes his testimony, standing in front of a tomb-sized stone that is no match for him nor the tools that he bears. My oldest son, who is 26, is caught in drug and alcohol addiction, spanning seven years now. Perhaps 2023 could be our family's jubilee, that biblical relief season Israel's land received every seven years. In the deep furrows of my heart, seedbed hopes for my children were planted before their births. It feels as though the locusts swarmed this son's row. On the inside of his left arm, he has a tattoo in bold black ink. XL, not for extra large, but the Roman numeral 40, specifically Psalm 40. A once inspiring musician, he liked how U2 put Psalm 40 to music on their war album, and that his dad, a Bono admirer, made that his go-to prayer for him. I waited patiently for the Lord He inclined and heard my cry He brought me up out of the pit Out of the miry clay I will sing Sing a new song I will sing Sing a new song How long To sing this how long to sing this song? How long? How long? How long? How long to sing this song? There's a lot I don't understand about addictions, its cycles and sagas, Cole writes. Whether it's more disease, disorder, volition, or victimization, I'll leave it for experts to debate. I think about it in Psalm 40 terms. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. A pit was something an enemy threw you into. A bog is something you fall into yourself. That's addiction, he writes, pit and bog both. 
Addiction has imprisoned my son. Addiction could drown him. Thomas Chatterson Wilson, Williams, in his memoir, Losing My Cool, credits his father's watchfulness with saving him from a misguided life. I grew up knowing that no matter where I was or what I was doing, Pappy never stopped listening for the sound of me falling. His imagery is based upon a time his father dashed out of his study to catch toddler Thomas tumbling down the stairs just before he hit the hardwood floor at bottom. When you love someone in addiction, you often wonder where bottom is for them. How far do they have to fall before they've had enough? I still listen for the sound of my son falling, but God must be the one to catch him now. And for that, I wait. The XL Psalm holds out hope of freedom and regained footing for him, even as it expresses the anguish of waiting for me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Keeping hope doesn't mean expecting our situation will have a happy ending. It means bearing in mind that God is resolved in his son to take thought for me as Psalm 40 puts it in conclusion. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Cole closes his testimony sharing the words of writer Anne Lamott, whose own story of addiction has led her to face plenty of tomb-sized, seemingly immovable stones herself. She writes, if I were to begin practicing the presence of God for the first time today, it would help to begin by admitting the three most terrible truths of our existence, that we are so ruined and so loved and in charge of so little. So ruined, so loved, in charge of so little. That's not just my son, Cole confesses. It's me too. I waited patiently for the Lord. He and I heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit. Out of the miry clay, I will sing, sing a new song. I will sing, sing a new song. How long to sing this song? How long to sing this song? How long? That Roman numeral XL in bold black ink. 
I resonate with my three friends on the mocking cast as they responded to Cole's testimony. You just have to love this idea that this kid has this tattoo. How beautiful it is that in the wreckage and ruins of his body that is filled with drugs and hopelessness, that he has marked it in this way. What a reassuring thing that must be the father. What an important reminder for the son. No matter what this young man puts his own body through, it's been marked with a prayer. It's been marked with the promise. The inked XL is a reminder of his father's own love for him. It's a reminder that no matter how deep the pits, no matter how miry the clay, that he has been marked as Christ's own forever. That no matter how far he falls, that he will be caught. Caught by the love of God. The love of God that is powerful enough to roll any stone away. The love of God that is powerful enough to raise us up from the pit, out of the bog. The love of God that is powerful enough to raise us from death, to raise us from death itself to the fullness, the fullness of life. Resurrection Sunday is meaningless, y'all, if we do not celebrate it at the tomb. It is only when we recognize our ruin, how poor and needy we all actually are, that we can even begin to understand what this love means. It is only when we stand powerless before tomb-sized stones with bent shovels in our hands that we can even begin to recognize what this love can do, what this love has already done. U2 has another song that someday, someday my heart rests will be a new song, a new song that Cole will get to sing over his son, whether he is in the life here or the life to come. The shackles are undone The bullets quit the gun The heat that's in the sun Will keep us when there's none The rule has been disproved The stone, it has been moved The grave is now a groove All debts are removed Oh, can't you see what love has done? Oh, can't you see what love has done? Oh, can't you see what love has done? What it's doing to me. Who will roll the stone away? The women ask as they make their way to the tomb before they realize that it has already been moved. Can't you see? 
can't you see what love has done? Friends, as we stand at the empty tomb, we know this incredible truth that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God, the love of God we have come to know because God sent his son Jesus to us. There is nothing, nothing we can do or say, no harm we can cause, no pain we can suffer, no ruin we can achieve, there is nothing. No fear, no hopelessness, no pit, no bog, no tomb-sized stone, no death. There is nothing, absolutely no thing, that can separate us from the love of God we know because of Jesus. Oh, can't you see? Can't you see what love has done?